0: Hey everyone, it's Marcus. I wanted to check in and see what you all think of the topics that we've been covering on the show. Is there a product marketing topic that you really, really want to learn about and there's just no easy way to do that? That's the kind of thing I really want to cover. So connect with me on LinkedIn and shoot me a DM and let me know, Uh, or just message me about anything. Do you like the show? Do you have an idea for it? Do you have something that you want my feedback on? Let me know. Uh, I'm happy to connect and uh, I'd love to chat with you. I think you're really, really going to love this episode I recorded with April here we cover a lot and as always thank you for listening and here's the lush Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Experts, brought to you by ShareBird. I'm your host, Marcus Andrews, and today we are going to do a deep dive into product positioning. Silicon Valley is littered with failed companies, many of whom had an awesome team, a big market, a great product, and plenty of cash in the bank, but these companies fail anyway because they can't find and keep product market fit, and it's often because of poor positioning. They play in a bad market with a confusing value prop to the wrong audience. This hamstrings their growth and sends their product and marketing team spinning in circles, chasing their tails. You can avoid this with great deliberate positioning. Great positioning will set you up in the right market where you can really reach your potential. And product marketers, me and you, my friends, are generally responsible for positioning our products. Along with product, we really need to figure out how to position our products, name them, pick the category, create the value prop, Decide the target market price and packaging. And this can absolutely make or break your products and your company. It's really, really important to get right. It's also really, really challenging. For the most part, there isn't a ton of science around positioning or modern tools to really help us out. We sort of just stumble through the process. But luckily, we've got a product marketing expert to help us out. April Dunford has spent the last 25 years as an executive across multiple startups and tech giants working on new product strategy and positioning. She's also a speaker, an entrepreneur, and the author of Obviously Awesome, a book that's really, really defined, redefined the positioning process, something that was totally lacking from all this theory that existed around positioning. All right, super excited to dig into this. April, how's it going?
1: Oh, it's going great. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Awesome. So how have you been holding up in quarantine? I'm curious if you've you've gotten through this uh, 50-pound bag of flour that you tweeted out the other day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, do you know what? It's it's embarrassing, but we actually did finish the (laughs) 50-pound bag of flour. (laughs) There's a lot of bread being made at my house, and I have hungry teenagers in my defense. They're hungry teenagers (laughs) in my house, and they're making bread and eating bread. Yeah, sounds,
0: sounds great. It sounds like a pretty good situation for you to have this on-demand bread uh, going on. But
1: Yeah, it is pretty good. I'm not doing the bread making. Other people are doing the bread making, but I am doing a lot of the bread eating.
0: That, that but, sounds yeah. ideal. Okay, so um, before, the, before you wrote the book, Obviously Awesome, um, you were a practicing products leader, launching products. You know, I'm curious mm-hmm. how that shaped your experience. How did you learn about positioning?
1: So I started as a product, as a product marketer. That was my first job at a, at a little tech startup. And I like, I kind of didn't know anything about anything. Like I had a degree in systems design engineering, so I didn't know anything about product management. I didn't know anything about marketing. Um, But I was on a really good team at the time. And then we ended up getting acquired by a big company in the Valley. And Um, I ended up running a team, which was weird because I knew nothing and I had really, really smart people on my team. So I learned a lot there. Um, but I also made a point of kind of doing a a big self-study in marketing in particular, because I felt like I was running a marketing team and I didn't really know what I was doing. So I read a lot of books and I took a bunch of courses and Um, the first product that I ever worked on, we did a repositioning on it, uh, fairly soon after I had joined and I was involved in that repositioning. And I remembered, you know, that product had gone from being kind of a dud, like we weren't selling very much of it. It was a bit of a failure. We repositioned it in a completely different market and the thing just took off and it was spectacularly successful. And in fact... It's been 25 years since I worked on that product, and it's still a successful product out in the market. It's been acquired three times now, and it's now part of SAP. But, um, And I remember thinking then, wow, this is a really powerful idea. This positioning thing can take something that's kind of a loser and turn it into a winner. I should know how we do this. But it seemed to me like we were a bit making it up as we went along, or at least if there was a methodology, I didn't really understand it. And so I went looking for a methodology and what I discovered was there kind of wasn't one. Like positioning was this big deal kind of strategic underpinning of all the stuff we were doing in marketing. And yet we didn't actually seem to have a methodology to get it done. We all agreed on kind of what it was and a little bit of, you know, this this is kind of how it impacts a product. But we, there was no, like, step one, do this, step two, do that, step three, do that. And I remember thinking, at first, I thought, well, I'm just, I. this is just because I haven't gone to marketing school. I, there is one. <laughs> I just haven't found it yet, you know? The, so I kept, every time I crossed paths with the vice president of marketing, I'd ask them, like, hey, this positioning thing, how do you do it? And I'd get this bunch of different answers until eventually I went and took this class at at uh, At a university, sort of a post grad thing, and in that class, we were talking about positioning and um, and the guy introduced me to the positioning statement, which I had come across a few times and if you 're in marketing you 've come across the positioning statement, which isn 't really a methodology for doing positioning it 's kind of like I guess you could describe it as a way of capturing positioning, but it 's you know it 's this kind of mad libs fill in the blanks thing and you 're going to write down you know, our product is a, and then you write in the market category that does, and you write in whatever, like my, my competitors, what our value is and whatever. But what struck me about that was that still didn't give me a methodology. Like, how do I know what market category I should be in? And most products that I've worked on could be in multiple different market categories. And so when I asked that question, the professor, I said, well, wait, how do we know? Like, what if I had a product that was a loser in this category, but then I repositioned it and it's a winner in this category. How could I have just known what the winning category was in the first place? Like, how do I determine the best category? There must be a way to do that. And, and the answer I got from the professor was like, trust me, April, you'll just know. (laughs) (laughs) And I was, and that was the moment where I was like, huh, No one knows how to do this. Not even (laughs) the smart guy that teaches it at the university knows how to do this. So that was kind of, that was kind of the beginning of the journey for me to, I I thought, well, you know what? There is no methodology for this. That makes no sense to me. There should be one. There must be a way to figure this out. And I'm doing a lot of repositioning. Maybe I can figure this out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I hope a lot of engineers don't catch on to this, but it seems like people who maybe have some sort of engineering background or have been through, you know, went to school for something like that, just expect that there, you know, or like have higher standards that there should be this process and like, you know, something that you can do to have these repeatable outcomes. So, well, you um, know, what?
1: I think there's a thing in, there's a thing you learn in engineering. This that is like first principles. And yeah. So- you know there's two ways to solve a problem when you when you're in engineering school you can either you know the the easy way to solve it is you do all the practice practice exams and you learn to recognize the patterns and then you get on the exam and you say ah that looks like that one i solved on that other exam and you hmm. figure it out that way or if you're super super smart you you could derive everything from first principles because there's a set of first principles and so If you really had mastery over something, you wouldn't just be looking for the patterns and just say, oh, I just know. You would actually be able to explain first principles. This is why. You know, you go all the way back to Bernoulli's equation or something and say, well, you know, this is, (laughs) judging by my theory of calculus, you know, this is how we're going to do this. And so I just kind of expected that to be there for marketing stuff too. And there is in some things. Um, yeah. But there, there wasn't for there wasn't for positioning, and that kind of surprised me.
0: Yeah, on you know, there's this sort of spectrum in my mind of marketers, and you know, on one end it's more analytical, on the other end it's more creative. And I think that you know, when a designer designs something beautiful, you don't ask them mm. about their process necessarily, but like, and product marketing is marketing's kind of on that on that. I think it's on that more creative spectrum, or at least it has been. And positioning is one of those things that like a great storyteller can can build you an awesome story and great messaging, but like um, it's just not repeatable. And so the positioning really, I think is, I think, I think this, your book and this sort of, you know, focus from uh, product marketing teams on positioning is going to help out a lot there. So what are some of the negative side effects of this? You talked about like, you can be a loser in one category and a winner in the other category. But another thing you talk about in the book is that one, you make it this amazing case for positioning. So, and that's helped me a lot talking to lots of different people. So thank you for that. It's like, positioning is extremely important. And I think you articulate that so well. Um, But one thing you talk about is that there's this mismatch between like what a company says they do and what the product actually does. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the issues from bad positioning. Can you tell me more about that and like why it's bad and maybe how it happens?
1: Yeah. So I, I started to see this pattern uh, because I worked at a lot of fairly early stage startups and often what you got is, you know, I would get hired as as the VP marketing and, and generally I would be the first sort of senior marketing hire. There'd be some marketers in there, but the first time they'd get, you know, quote unquote, you know, really senior marketing person in there to mm-hmm. do stuff. So I wouldn't be there with the founding team. I'd be coming in two, three years later after the thing is in the market and they've got some traction and they're ready to really put their foot on the gas on the marketing side. So I'd come in and the first thing you'd see is, you know, the company would be describing what it does and who they compete with and why they win. But then you'd go out on sales calls and it felt like customers saw the product in a different way. And so what generally the pattern that started to emerge for me was what you'd have is the founders would have this idea of what the product was all about when they invented it. So they'd mm-hmm. say, you know, they, they get up in the morning and say, you know, what sucks email, I want to make better email or, mm-hmm. you know, what sucks databases. I'm going to make better database. And so, and then they, they build something and then they would get it in front of customers and customers would love a piece of it. the hate piece of it, you know, and then they would iterate on it and, and then they put something else out and they put something else out. And at the same time, the market itself would be changing. So new competitors would be getting in and there'd be new types of products all around this product. And then you fast forward a few years and here you've got this founder talking about, hey, I've got this great email, but I'm looking at it thinking, man, that looks like chat. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you're calling that email, but I think it's chat. Then you, look, you go ahead and talk to customers and customers are thinking about it that way too. And so there's this mismatch between you know, what, the, what the founder thinks they have, but what would potentially be a whole better way to contextualize what the product actually is today in the market as it stands today. And so I used to see that pattern a lot. And so I think that a lot of root cause bad of bad positioning comes from people being a little bit stuck in the past of what the product used to be and and what it was when they first introduced it or what it was a couple of years ago versus what it looks like right now in the market right now.
0: Absolutely. I think that the best, you know, the companies that tell the most interesting stories to me and have the best positioning are really, really obsessed with change. You know, the the change that they see in their target market in their buyers. And they're very tuned into that. You know, I think that um, like one of my favorite uh, positioning examples is Michelob Ultra. They're this like bad right. light beer that said, oh, if all of a sudden we're a health drink, we're like, we're no longer like in the light beer game. <laughs> we're going to be like a health drink. And right. it's like, what? That's ne- I, mean, I would love to be at that meeting. I just, I can't believe it worked, but I think they were just very dialed into like change, you know, the change in their Change, right? Everybody was on
1: a low carb diet. People were in it was, and they sort of got at the nut of that. So why are you drinking light beer in the first place? Right. And I, and I think it was like, why, you know, it's, it was a little bit of jobs to be done there. I like to Mm. think we should, we should ask Bob Mesta if he was involved with that one. That one sort of sniffs like, jobs to be done stuff because yeah. you think like, why are you drinking light beer in the first place? Well, I'm drinking light beer because I'm, you know, I'm working out and I'm on a program and I'm on a, you know, and and I'm trying to get healthy and they're like, ah, <laughs> I see what it is you're trying to do here.
0: Totally. Um, totally.
1: But I've yeah. had examples like, and then tech, we have the same thing, right? Like there's a, there's yes. an example in the book that I talk about where, you know, we had this, we had this database and it was a new kind of database that, that um, could do a certain kind of analytic query if you had it, like just a mountain of data, really, really fast. And so it was originally developed as a as a custom bit of software for a bank that had this big mountain of data they had to analyze, and the query was so complicated that in order to run the query, it took 12 hours. So they could only run it on the weekend <laughs> because it would chew up all their servers and stuff. And so Then, uh, then these guys took the code and commercialized it and launched it. And the guys who wrote it—they're PhDs in database science. They're database guys. We built this database, and and it does this query, and it's amazing. But when you got out talking to customers, customers were like, "Well, you know what? We use databases for all kinds of different workloads and all kinds of different things." And we already have a database and it's Oracle. And now you come in saying you got a database and that sounds like you want to replace my Oracle. And we can't do that. I'm all certified on Oracle. And Mm. we ended up taking that and we repositioned it. We played with the idea of repositioning it as a business intelligence tool because analytics is kind of a business intelligence thing. But eventually we repositioned it as, um, as a data warehouse and that worked better because companies knew what a data warehouse was, but most folks were building their own data warehouse. So they didn't have a package data warehouse solution. So we could come in and say, Hey, what we have is a data warehouse for doing these kinds of queries. And it made sense because data warehouse only does that kind of workload. And it it got us out of this, Hey, aren't you just like Oracle and don't you want to replace my Oracle database? It just changed the whole frame of reference for what we were doing.
0: Absolutely. And I, I think in the book you, you you explain it so well, where it's like you know there's these there's a set of assumptions that come with your, you know your position and your category and like this right. like the the price, the the brand, the value, all you know all of these things that come with um, a database versus data warehouse or BI tool right. or whatever. I think that's really helpful too for in, for selling this internally too. If you're you know if you're talking to a product team, you're talking to um, leadership or whoever, it's like, look, you know, look at all the assumptions that come with this, where we're positioned today. And then, and then match that up to like what we actually have or like where we want right. to be. And then you, know, you see all, you see it in a way that it's like, oh, that's not good. You know, and it's easy to understand.
1: Right, right. The example I use in the book around this one is this is these guys that were doing this email for lawyers, and you know just by saying that like by saying we 've got a thing and it 's email you've got all these assumptions about it it's like well yeah. it's email it's you know it 's got to have an inbox it 's got to do spam detection it 's got to have a calendar, and it turned out what these guys had you know it didn't have a calendar it didn 't have a whole bunch of that stuff, and you 're like. Well, wait a second. I just assumed you're competing with Gmail because you said you're email and they're like, oh, no, no, we don't compete with Gmail. And you're like, oh, my gosh. So like you have this thing that if you say I'm email, you're going to trigger this set of assumptions. And if you're doing this well and the assumptions that it triggers about your product are true, that's great. Because then I, yes. you know, I don't have to tell you who my competitor is. It's assumed. And I don't have to list every feature. Those half those things are table stakes. But if you do it, if you make a mistake at it and you position something in a category where it triggers a bunch of assumptions that, that aren't true about your product, then your marketing and sales team is going to have to say, yeah we're email but we don't have a calendar uh yeah we're email but we don't compete with gmail it's like what <laughs> none of that makes any sense what are you doing where i could take this same product and i could position it in a different category i could call it team collaboration for example mm. and all of a sudden oh, well, i don't it, of course it doesn't have a calendar it doesn't need a calendar it's collaboration software and of course you don't compete with g with gmail anymore you compete with slack and the assumptions are all different even though the reality is there's a hell of a lot of overlap between team collaboration and email and chat. And, you know, we could go on about these categories, all overlap quite a bit. Most folks aren't picking the category deliberately. Hmm. The category has just come out of, like I said before, like sometimes it's just where the, the original concept of the product when the founder invented it, but But often that default category is not the best one to kind of contextualize what it is that you do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, and with new products, in my own experience with like, you know, new products at HubSpot, there's just not that deliberate thinking that, you know, always comes out of it. And so I think that's just, it's just a great place for product marketers to sort of push and enter into the conversation where it's like, you know, ask that question. It's like, okay, you think right. this is this. Well, here's the expectations that you're going to come with this. Is that what you're going to build? Is that what you want to build? Is that, are people going to be immediately, because you could create something amazing but people could be immediately disappointed with it, right? Because it doesn't meet those expectations that you triggered.
1: Um, I liked it. You know, when I worked at, when I worked at IBM, um, the product marketing function um, and this was going back years ago, so it's probably not this way now, but when I worked there, the product marketing function was called market management. And I used to like that concept of, you know, to kind of explain what does a, product marketer do with this idea being you're the expert on this context setting bit. And so it would make sense for you to come up and say, look, you know, is this really the market you want to be in? Because if you if you if we're going to be in that market, you know, we're saying these are, these are the competitors we're up against and this is the market we intend to win. Do we actually have the product to win that market? And maybe we could investigate some other markets and think about those.
0: Yeah. I like that. I mean, I don't think that is what, um, product teams necessarily do, right? Like there, so there's, there's that opportunity, I think for product marketers, market management, is that what they call that? Market
1: management. Yeah. They used to call it a market manager. Love
0: that. Love that. I was hoping to spend more time just, just bashing, uh, positioning statements. We didn't, that was, you know, we, we went over it quickly. Well, it's, but, one um, of my
1: fa- it's one of my favorite <laughs> pastimes. We, we could just bash I know, them. April, that's, <laughs> that's
0: how we could, um, all right, I don't know so why the, they
1: keep teaching that thing. Like, why do you I, think they keep teaching that thing?
0: I think it's just easy, you know. I think it's like you bring in, um, you know, there, we want to put some sort of process around this. And I think the, you, just, you know, it's like, it's a good, um, it's a good, like, capsule to to put all this work in, potentially. Like, if you have all this amazing work and you, you do all this research and dig into it, uh-huh. maybe then you could plug it into a positioning statement and it would work, but...
1: you know, the process
0: behind it isn't there. So I, but I don't know. I
1: I don't even think it works for that. You know, I I, (laughs) like, so that's my thing is like, I don't even think it works for that. Like at one point I thought, well, okay. The reason they teach it is because it's an okay way to capture positioning, right? Like once you've figured if you know, you've got some magic process for figuring positioning out. And then if you just want to capture it, it's going to capture it in this nice succinct one sentence thing, except that, no, it isn't, right? Like, like I don't know yeah. if you've ever done a positioning statement yeah. exercise. The, the crap that comes out of that, like even in the course that I took uh, where the, the guy was teaching positioning statements, he put up the, the original positioning statement the, that Amazon had done, and it was the world's longest run-on sentence. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it went for like the equivalent of three paragraphs long because they're trying to get all the detail in there that you need to really understand the positioning. And I was like, well, why does this have to be in a a gobbledygook sentence? (laughs) Like, why can't we, you know, make some paragraphs in here or something in it? So I don't even think it works all that well for capturing it. And then the other thing that I really hate about the positioning statement is structured the way it is. You know, we are a blank for blank that does Mm -hmm. blank it's structured in such a way that, you know, there's a blank there and it says market category and there's no, never any discussion of how do you actually figure out what the market category is. Mm -hmm. And I've got the, you know, I got the instructor up there at the front of the room saying, you know, you'll just know what it is. (laughs) It tricks you into thinking that there's only one right answer. And the best answer is the first one that pops into my head, which is, very frequently not true. So yep. it kind of reinforces this sort of status quo default positioning thinking. Yep. So I think it actually, not only is the positioning statement kind of useless, like I don't even think it does a good job capturing positioning, but it. I actually think it's potentially dangerous because it tricks you into thinking, Oh, well, just whatever you pop in the head, just write that down there. Yeah, that, <laughs> so well- I don't think you should do it. So I'll tell you, <laughs> I had this thing, I had this thing, I got this job at IBM and, uh, and, and up until then I had mainly just worked at little startups. So I was kind of excited because the IBM, you know, product launch process is kind of famous and, people talk about it. They actually sell it as a service. It's like, oh, you're going to learn the IBM IPD process. I'm like, great. And so they give you this great big book at the time. It was this big book. And there's a section in there on positioning. So I was like, oh man, I'm going to find out how IBM does it. This is going to be cool. And I go to the positioning section in the book and there's, it's one page. it's a freaking positioning. <laughs> <laughs> <Steven>. <laughs> I'm like, no. And and I'm sitting there looking at it and my boss comes in. And this just triggered a rant, and he's like, what are you looking at? And I'm like, this piece of junk right here. <laughs> and, so, and so I went on this big rant. I was like, I cannot believe you guys do this. Like, Here you are with this supposedly world-class process, and you got this thing here. And I went on the big rant about this is why it's stupid and wrong and whatever, and you should never do it, and la-di-da-di-da-di-da-di-da. And my boss is this guy, Paul he was just kind of standing there and he doesn't say anything and he just let me go and go and go and go and go. And then finally he says, yep, yep, yep. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. That positioning statement thing. Yep. That's probably not the right way to do it. But you know what, April, like, do you like working at IBM? (laughs) And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And he's like, do you like your IBM paycheck that comes in every couple of weeks? You like that? And I'm like, yeah yeah i do and he's like just fill in the damn thing (laughs) (laughs) and after a while i thought you know what the reason the positioning statement persists and carries on is because we don't have a decent replacement for it Mm. and in 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 the absence of a good replacement for it, nobody has time to figure this out. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just like the conversation I had with my boss. It's like, look, just do it. We need to get the thing out the door, just write the thing down, do whatever. And I think this is why it's stuck so long. Everybody thinks, well, God, positioning's been around since the 80s. Surely we know how to do that. And the positioning statement must be okay, right? We've been doing it that way for what, 40 years now? It must be fine. And it's just one of these things that nobody's ever taken a step back and said, you know what? That thing deserves to die. We should yeah. kill that.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, maybe the time is now, you know, because I think. Time that, is now. Well, it definitely is. And, and there's this status quo <laughs> issue, especially in B2B SaaS where like everybody looks the same and sound the, sounds the same. And I think <sighs> they are, the positioning process is potentially the culprit for it just because you know, you look around, there's not a lot of, you know, I don't think people are thinking deliberately about, uh, deliberately about their stories. I believe um, that. So is positioning and like, is having great positioning enough to, so that you win and win in a market, right? I, I 100%. If that
1: was true, then I would be the I, you know, if that was true, then, you know, <laughs> I could just wave my little positioning magic wand at everybody and they'd just yeah. all be guaranteed to be successful. I could probably charge a lot for consulting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: how do you How do you do it then? How do you break through the noise? I mean, is it just like you gotta do good positioning so people understand what the hell that you do and you and you don't fail but like is there you know like what can companies do i guess in a crowded market to really kind of well, so um
1: here's the thing like the first thing is the, the the positioning piece, in my opinion, is super super important. It's the underpinning, right mm-hmm. so I don't think you get to really great differentiation. And a really great story that sets you apart in the market without really understanding this is who I compete against, this is how I'm different, this is how I'm going to win, these are exactly the kinds of customers where that I'm the best fit for, and therefore, yes. you know, I'm going to win with these folks, and therefore, this is how I'm going to this is the market category I'm going to position in. You need that first, but yes, even if you smash that and do an amazing job of that piece there's still the actual execution of it. And the execution of it takes uh, a great amount of discipline. Mm. (laughs) So for example, I'll get some companies that I work with where, you know, we all get aligned. uh, We do, we do the workshop. Like I run these workshops and they're two days and we get all aligned on here's how we're different and, and here's where you're going to win. And then we build a kind of um, a sales story around that. So essentially a pitch that you can use to go test the positioning. But sometimes what you'll get is, uh, so there, there's a few ways this can go off the rails. One is if the whole team isn't aligned and if the whole team isn't bought into the new positioning, then what'll happen is they'll be backsliding. So this is why marketing can't just own this on their own. Mm -hmm. So in the workshops I do, I, I don't do the workshop if we can't get the CEO slash founders in the room. I need the, you know, or whoever the head of the business unit is, whoever's ultimately responsible for that product needs to be into the room and they need to be really bought into the idea that, you know, we're all going to agree to this thing as a team and then we all got to go run with it afterwards. It's the same thing with the head of sales. If the head of sales doesn't believe, then the head of sales is going to be out there telling a different story and you'll be over here in marketing crafting up this story, but then your rep goes into pitch and your reps in pitching a completely different story. And so yeah. this inconsistency of how the positioning gets represented out in the market is often you know, a way that companies that have really good positioning, like you'll talk to the CEO and it's really good. You'll talk to the head of marketing. It's really good. Then you talk to the head of sales and you're like, ah, I see. (laughs) (laughs) I see what the problem is here.
0: Totally. And you see that all the time. Right. And all that's like, the time. I think
1: it's hard it's, to have that discipline to be consistent yes. about it.
0: Well, you need a good process, right? You need to like, I think you can, you know, if you, like you can go in and you can like sell this process internally before you even get into it. Right. So then it's just like, all right, we, you know, we were bought into this thing. Now let's do it. I think that helps. And then like having that strong identity as a company, man, that's powerful. Cause you get alignment and you get right. everybody's telling the same story. Okay. So the one, one quick question I want to ask you here too, is that I was, I was talking, one of the things I love about, you know, your book, um, are like these templates that come with it. And just one of the, one of the, um, pieces of advice you give around like how to enter a new market. I absolutely love, right. You can go head to head at the market leader. You can break off a specific piece or you can create a new game. So yeah. I was talking to a startup CEO about this and, and they had already started to do, they'd, they'd already broken off a piece of this market and I told him about kind of all three of these ways, just, just like, just to add some context. And he's like, I want to do all three of them. And I'm like, oh, interesting. He's like, I want to go, like, we broke off a piece, but I want to go at the big leader in the space with, you know, our messaging. And I also want to create this new game that kind of differentiates, differentiates wow. the market. I'm like, is the, and I'm at, I don't know. I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think of that? Is it possible to try and do all three? Is that a big mistake? uh um, i don't sense? think
1: that i don't think that's possible but i don't know maybe i gotta think about it i mean there's exceptions to all these things right so uh so you can say it's true in the general case but then there's always somebody comes up with a specific and you're like yeah okay for that one maybe <laughs> um i think so a lot of so that is it when i talk about styles and positioning it's a bit hard conceptually for people to get their heads around and um and we were Talking earlier, like before we started the show, about how I was working very hard to make my book very short so that mm. CEOs would actually finish it, and that's one piece where the original version of my book that was a it was a good hundred pages, yeah. <laughs> and now it's like maybe twenty. So here's the idea: so if you can either go into existing market or you can make up a new market. If you go into existing market, you have two choices: you either say I'm going to go in and be the thing for everybody in this market, or I'm just going to be for certain people in this market. Hmm. So if you say you're going to be the thing for everybody in the market, that's like, I just go in and I say, look, I'm a CRM. And that's it. I just stop there. <laughs> yeah. Or I say, I'm email. And that's it. And like, and if you just say you're just email, then that's like saying I'm taking on Gmail. Yeah. And they're going to die. And I'm going to beat them. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and I'm for everybody. If you ever consider anybody who's ever considered Gmail should consider me because there's no qualifiers on that. Yeah. And that is generally impossible. Like, mm-hmm. Even when I worked at big companies, we would hesitate to, to enter into a market where there was an established leader in an established market. Like even yeah. IBM wouldn't do that the only time, generally, the only time that you really can do that, if there's an established leader in an established market, is if you're number two and something's going on that is potentially going to give you an edge to take on the leader. Hmm. So there's been a stepwise change in technology. There's been a big change in the marketplace. There's been, you know, maybe the leader is having some problems, <laughs> you know, and they've got some strategic weakness that you can take advantage of but it is very difficult and actually very rare for a new company to come in particularly for a startup. It almost never happens to come in and take on an established leader in an established market. Now yeah. the one place that you would do it is if the market exists, but there is no clear market leader. So that's hmm. what you get when you've got a market that is you know is essentially just emerged so it exists in the minds of customers but if you're to ask the customer who actually wins that market they're like i don't know i can name you a few people in there but i I don't know who's there is no established market leader so up until literally like four days ago my example of this was um a, a company here in canada called north Um, was attempting to win the smart glasses market. Now, when I say smart glasses, you know, for techie people, we kind of know what smart glasses are. Like, you've got a vague idea what those are. Why? Because Google Glass Glass. (laughs) spent a lot of time and energy and effort trying to make smart glasses a thing. (laughs) And then they kind of exited the market or kind of, they kind of backed out of the (laughs) consumer market and went to the BB. I don't know what they did. Uh, And so these guys North, Um, if you looked at their product, they were making an attempt to be the leader in the smart glasses for everybody market. So if you went to their website, they didn't say smart glasses for fashion conscious people or smart glasses for, you know, just for super techies that care about this. They were like, we're smart glasses, full stop (laughs) for everybody. And, and so That is you could attempt to do that. Now, the problem with that is that even those kind of markets are hard to win because uh, it generally you need uh, you need a lot of money and you and it's a dogfight because Mm -hmm. if the market exists and there's no clear leader, that's a perfect opportunity for a venture backed company to come in and do a kind of land grab thing and take the market. So that's what North was trying to do. And then the reason why I say trying to, and it no longer is as of four days ago, they just got acquired by Google. <laughs>
0: yeah, <hey. laughs> Google Glass is coming back.
1: So there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Expect Google Glass Rev 2 coming out any day now. Um, so, so that's the only reason we take that. So, so what's much more common for startups or for a brand new product coming into the market, what's much more common is you say, look, I, I can't take on, email or i can't take on crm or i can't take on you know pick your established market with an established leader um but i can find a piece of that market and there's often giant pieces of that those markets that are underserved by the market leader Mm -hmm. and you say you know what i'm going to establish a beachhead here because the market leader isn't doing a very good job for these folks they have special needs and i can meet them and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dominate that sub-segment of the market. And then once I'm really good there, I'm going to start figuring out how to make that market bigger and bigger and bigger that I address until eventually I'm number two. And then when I get to number two, maybe I take and run at number one and I get. them. So yeah. the example I use there is a company I worked with where we were CRM for investment banks. And so, you know, we made a lot of money just selling to investment banks. Um, and previous to that, we had positioned ourselves as just CRM and there was a giant company in that market and we never won anything. But when we said we were CRM for investment banks, we had a special set of features that were really good for investment banks that the leader didn't have. And that gave us a chance to win. So that's very different. I don't know how you can be doing both, right? Like, I don't know how you can do a sub-segment thing and and a take on the whole market thing. The last one is where you create a new category and this is really popular right now amongst yeah. startups. Um, but I think most of the time when companies come to me and they say, Oh, we're creating a whole new category. They're actually not creating a category. It just right. kind of feels like it. So they'll come and they'll say that they're, you know, kind of like I'm CRM for lawyers and there's no other, there's no other CRM for lawyers out there. So that's a new category creation. Right. And I'm like, no, it's, the category is CRM and you're just in a piece of that, which is for lawyers. So you get the benefit of everybody knowing what a CRM is. True category creation is when you come in and you say, hey, uh, I got this thing. It's a flu flummer. And you're like, what the heck is a flu flummer? And you're like, I'm glad you asked. Let me right. tell you. <laughs> and then I explain what that is. And, that, and that's my category. And then I got to convince you that I should be the leader in that. And that one's really hard, too, because the minute the category becomes something and it's a category in the minds of customers, then you end up back in that style one where it's an emerging category. It exists in the minds of customers. There isn't a clear leader yet. And suddenly you're besieged with well-funded, aggressive competitors that are trying to steal it from you. And so the history of Silicon Valley is full of, you know... Companies like MySpace and Lycos and Ask Jeeves, uh, that you know, that and Google Glass, that did a great job of sort of creating the category, but then never managed to capitalize on it. And great, you know, and then competitors came in a hot minute later and stole it from them and became really big companies by not being first.
0: Yes, yeah, no, it makes it makes a lot of sense. That that helps me think through kind of those different approaches and I totally agree with you on that category creation thing I just think as a goal it's like it's almost absurd especially if you don't have some (laughs) transformational technology right I do I do think that new games like you can create a new game like inbound marketing is a game that we told people to play that's not our category it's just like this we're introducing a new game I think that I think that's is very effective but if your goal is category creation it's it's you're so, okay, April. This has been an amazing conversation. I don't want to keep you um, too much longer. Is there anything you're working on that um, you want to tell people about, or anything you got coming up?
1: Uh, no. You know what? I've been at home, not leaving the house, <laughs> and uh, doing a lot of consulting. So I'm really busy right now because a lot of the companies that I've worked with in, over the last couple of years are now finding that their markets have changed significantly mm-hmm. as a result of covid and the uncertainty in the markets and so i'm doing a lot of follow-on work with companies that i've worked with before that have sort of come back to me and said you know what we kind of want to take a relook at the positioning maybe do a little adjustment as a result of that so i'm doing a lot of thinking about that i'm also doing a lot of thinking right now about um the relationship between positioning and storytelling and Mm -hmm. in in particular how do companies express their point of view on a market Yep. which i think is a is, is a kind of neat lens on positioning and so i'm doing some thinking and i'd like to do some writing on that when i'm less busy i will
0: <laughs> awesome well i mean that is you know you're talking about positioning is like this underpinning you're saying that earlier and i love that companies really do need a point of view today and but you have to have that underpinning so uh, super excited for that hopefully um you know i'm excited to see where you take that and what you create we'll have you back on the pod and sure. uh, we'll dig into oh, that yeah. next time
1: yeah that would be awesome thanks
0: awesome well um i'm sure you've got some uh sourdough or something to take care of to eat it or to make <laughs> i don't know do you, do you guys get into the sourdough starter
1: oh yeah it's the whole deal over here man we got, yeah. 50, <laughs> we got a 50 pound bag of flour like all we, the breads we got, we got sourdough. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a pet. It's in the <laughs> fridge. It's out of the fridge. We're feeding it every day. It's like uh, I'm learning things about baking I never knew before.
0: That's amazing. Awesome. Um, well, I appreciate it, April. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, have an awesome rest of your day.
1: You too. Thanks so much for having me. There's only one way to take it. And that's hard. That's hard. There's only one way to own it. You want to drown in the city lights oh, But it's all right